So welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. My name is Jeff. I am so glad you guys came out on this snowy Sunday, right? Wow, you guys are so brave, man. I can't believe that, you know? Like one inch of snow did not stop you. Did not stop you. That is awesome. So I'm saying a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at our North Platte campus as well as our Kearney campus. We are one church in multiple locations. So if this is your first Sunday with us, thank you so much for being here. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us online as well. So, wow, God, man, God's doing some great stuff at our church, and uh, this is a great season to be here. <clears throat> you know, just kicking off this brand new year. This is week two of uh, 2018. How many of you guys still have perfect church attendance? Come on, let me see it. Wow. I mean, we've had people, you know, take that one little comment, and then somewhere in like September, right, they'll come back and they'll go, hey, by the way, I still have perfect Sunday, Sunday attendance. And I'm like, man. You are like amazing. That is incredible, right? I mean, I even went on vacation and missed a Sunday. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm just like, wow, that's so awesome. We've got some really incredible people around, around this church. We are in a uh, new teaching series. We just simply entitled it Chain Breakers. And we're looking at these, <clears throat> these chains that they, they wrap us up. They bind us. They keep us from living the way that God wants us to live. And these chains are all dealt with in a biblical you know, perspective. And so therefore, we're going after these chains so that God can unlock them in our life and we can live the freedom that he's called us to live. Today, the chain that I want to talk about is the chain of fear. The chain of fear. Uh, we all experience fear in different ways, right? Am I right about that? I mean, some of you, you were, you were a little fearful of even walking through the doors today. Right? Because you didn't know, like, what's behind door number one? Like, I've never been to this church. What's happening there? Uh, I can't see in. There's no windows into the auditoriums like it is at a lot of churches, right? And so you're kind of like, what's going on inside of that thing? I got that. We experience fears of all different kinds. So that's why, that's what makes fear such an interesting topic to talk about. It's because all of us at some point or another have experienced it or we're getting ready to experience it and it comes in cycles in our life. There's others of us that just like, we just have anxiety and we, we kind of face anxiety in a lot of different ways. I want to talk about that today as well because uh, fear for the most part, hear me out today, fear for the most part is an unhealthy, uh, is an unhealthy emotion that doesn't come from God. All right, but there are some fears that are life-saving. Let me give you a life-saving fear for a minute. All right, um, don't play with rattlesnakes. That's a life-saving fear. Right? Like, don't don't think that the rattlesnake is smiling at you when he's got that look. <clears throat> right? Don't think when he's got his mouth open, he's asking for a little treat. He's getting ready to take to take some flesh out of you. Right? He's getting ready to put some hurt on you. If you if you think that. You know, playing with a rattlesnake is normal. You got issues. I'm just going to say it right now. All right? You got issues. A little bit of fear in that can go a long ways in keeping a person healthy. Like, go back to when, our, when we were getting ready to go play, you know, as a kid. You're getting ready to go outside and play. Go back to, like, the words that your mom said to you. Like, I guarantee your mom didn't say these words to you. You know, your mom, just like my mom, she, she didn't look at us when we are going out the door and say, Hey, son. Get out there and take big risks today on the playground, right? 
Hey, son, go out there and while you're playing today and do something that just makes those butterflies stir up inside of your gut. You know that, you know that feeling? Uh, you got that fear coming on? You know, your mom didn't look at you and say, get out there, son, and push the limits. Push the limits. Just see how far you can push yourself. No, that's not what, you, that's not what your mom said. It's not what my mom said. You know, our moms probably said something very similar. They said it like this, don't get hurt, be, be safe, be safe. I mean, our mom was trying to help us understand that there are some things that have a, a, a healthy dose of respectful fear can take you a long ways in keeping you safe. However, most fear just becomes disabling to us. And it really, it keeps us from exercising faith. And that's what I want to deal with today. All right, so I'm not talking about the respectful fear that we should have for you know, certain elements of our, of our world. I'm talking about the fear that wraps up the heart, it wraps up the mind, it wraps up the flesh, and it keeps us in this disabled capacity, not being able to fulfill the full maximum that God has for our life. And the Bible says, the Bible says these things. It says, fear not, and it says, do not be afraid. It says it a lot. You ever read one of those scriptures? I mean, they're all over the place. And in different versions, you'll find them to be, you know, you know, varying in the amount that it's used because as they wrote that version, they were maybe using some slightly different language to write that. But in the English Standard Version, the ESV, one of the most accurate versions of the, of the Bible in modern day language, those words are used in the Bible 522 times. Now, just think with me, it's 522 times we're instructed by God from God's word, fear not, do not be afraid. Those are God's words, by the way. So if, if that's God's words, that's why I come to the conclusion and I say, fear does not come from God, period. Fear then comes from what? It comes from our upbringing. It comes from our experiences. Fear predominantly comes from Satan trying to wrap us with chains so that we cannot accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. So when it comes to your faith journey, fear is, is from an enemy attempting to keep you from accomplishing all that God wants. And he follows this fear acronym, basically, that it's false evidence appearing real. And that would be what fear is. False evidence appearing real. So fear is a chain that wraps around your heart wraps around your mind, it wraps around you physically, and today is a day where it has to be broken. So I want to start out by looking at Scripture and helping us see where you can find this false evidence appearing real, how the enemy would love to use that to dominate your life and my life. And to do it, we're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 6. If you've got your smartphone, then you've got version. All of the scripture is there for you to grab a hold of. <clears throat> if you don't have version, I would encourage you to download that Bible app. You'll have 40 different Bible versions walking around with you and all kinds of study tools. We've got lots and lots of people at our church that, um, that are using, using that tool. Um, so if you don't have that, then flip in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 6. Somewhere around verse 8 is where I want to jump in. I just kind of want to tell you a little bit about the story. We're going to read some of the scripture and help us understand how does fear really work in our lives? How does this false evidence appear real? So in 2 Kings 6, starting about verse 8, you've got the, the king of Aram and his troops, his army, and he's got a large one, who has come against the king of Israel and the Israelite army. 
And it says there in verse 8 that the king of Aram, he is, he's getting with his officers. You can almost imagine it, like getting with his officers in this tent, some kind of surface, or they're using a stick with you know, sand, um, you know, working with the ground. <clears throat> and they're going, here's where we are. Here's where the Israelite army is. The Israelite army is going to be moving tomorrow from point A to point B. We're going to move our army in to intercept them. Here's where we're going to set up our troops. And when they come through, we will attack them. And all of the officers that are there are going, this makes complete sense. Let's do it. So they go after it. And guess what happens? Their plan gets foiled. <clears throat> so now the, the king of Aram is like, okay, well, let's regroup. Let's figure this out. And he does it again, and he does it again, and he does it again, and again, and again. And it basically says this, that every time that the king <clears throat> came up with a plan, it got foiled. Every time the king said, this is where the Israelites are going to be, they weren't there. Why did that happen? Because there was a prophet, a prophet living among the Israelites, and his name was Elisha. Elisha kept hearing from God. Hey, the enemy's army is going to be over here. Don't go there. And so Elisha goes to the king. He tells the king, hey, look, there's an ambush. You don't want to walk into it. And so the king of Israel kept avoiding the ambush that the enemy kept bringing. Well, if you're the enemy king and you keep setting up these ambushes and, the, and your enemy, the Israelites, keep figuring it out, I guarantee you over time, you're going to get very frustrated. And may I even say, you're going to get mad. And then you're going to start turning inward into your officers, which is exactly what, it do, what he does in Scripture. He turns inward to his officers, and he starts doubting them. And he says, hey guys, one of you guys is basically a traitor. One of you is going to the enemy, and you're giving out our secrets. And every one of our secret attacks is getting foiled. And the, the officers around the table, they knew exactly what was going on. And they say to the king, no, I'm sorry, that's, that's wrong. Like, we're completely loyal to you. There's a prophet that, that our enemy has, the Israelites. And this prophet, keeps, he keeps knowing the plans we're making. It's as if he's standing in the room with us, right? And then they go on to say, it's not just that, king. I guarantee you, he even knows the private conversations that you're having in your bedroom. So the king is completely disturbed and he is totally ticked off. And he says, get some spies. Go find Elisha. Tell me where he's at because I want to send a huge army. Not just a little group of troops. I want to send a huge army and to wipe this joker off the face of the earth. I want to capture him. I want to seize him because he's foiling all of our plans. Or do you get it so far? Are you with me? Okay, you're with me. All right. So <clears throat> that's where we find ourselves as we're going to jump in and we're going to read verse 14. Take a look at this. So one night, the king of Aram, he sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Why? Because the, the, the spies went out and they found where Elisha was, and now he sent his army. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and he went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. King Aram... His arm, his, the army of, of Aram, they had all surrounded, you know, Elisha. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, I just want you to notice this. For a minute, 
for a minute, I want to take you to the deep end of the pool, all right, from a biblical scholar position. How do you know that the young man was afraid? Because Elisha said to him, hey, don't be afraid. See, sometimes biblical scholarship is really difficult. I mean, it can just, it can like wrench at your heart sometimes. How do you know that the young man's afraid? You know it because Elisha says, hey, by the way, it's written all over your face. Don't be afraid. Okay. Don't be afraid. Now here's something interesting about this passage. Who went outside to see this enemy army like 360 degrees all the way around the city that doesn't have a fortified wall where Elisha's living? Who went outside and saw it? The young servant, right? The young servant did. This young man who is serving the prophet of God, who is doing all that he can to love God, worship God by serving the man of God. He's the one who went outside and saw this. And once he went outside and he saw it, then he runs back inside And he tells Elisha, hey, this is what is going on. And what does Elisha say to him? Don't be afraid. But why shouldn't he be afraid? Elisha gave him the reason. He said, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, if you're the young servant, you're the one who ran outside and saw it. You came back inside. And now this older gentleman is just kind of maybe waking up in the morning. Right? And he just kind of says without even looking outside, oh, don't worry. We have more on our, our side than theirs. The, the, young, the young servant boy is going to think to himself, I think my master didn't like, uh, he's, he doesn't have it all wired together straight today. He didn't see what I saw. Like, you didn't see what I saw. Right? When I went out there, I guarantee you one thing I know. Elisha, you don't have your own army. Okay? I know that. I've hung out with you. We're not living on a military base where we can just sound the alarm. Hey, the enemy's out there and the army comes rushing in and tackles, tackles the enemy. Like we don't have that. So where are you getting this? Like there are more on our side than on yours. So here's what happens next in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses, chariots, and chariots of fire. But here's something I want you to notice about the scripture. So Elisha is in his house, in a city, with an enemy all the way around him, right? And he has to have heard word that they're coming after him. Because you know how word spreads, okay? This is what happens. So he's pretty sure that this army is for him. And he's got a servant who is scared because he's got the look of fear on his face. So what does Elisha do as this mighty prophet of God? What does he do? Does he pray against the army that's come for him? No, that's not what he does. He doesn't pray about the obstacle that's come against him. In fact, the first thing he does is he prays for his servant. And he says, Lord, would you open the eyes of my servant so that the fear in my servant's heart would poof, be gone? He doesn't pray about this enemy that's wrapped up around him. There's some other confidence that's inside of Elisha. that Instead of praying about the obstacle, he prays about the fear in the heart. Now you're going to need to hang on to that because you're going to need that for later in the sermon. This young servant in this story, he learned some valuable, priceless lessons that day that would stick with him for the rest of his life. The first one was this. Fear has no place in the heart of the man of God. 
period. Oh, it's going to come. And it's going to start its process in our hearts. But on a scale of 1 to 10, when fear comes in as a 1, what Elisha is trying to teach him is this. When fear comes in as a 1, you don't let it escalate to a 10. You attack it when it's a 1. You deal with it right then and there. You overcome it with faith. He taught him the lesson right on the spot. Fear has no place in the heart of the man of God. The second thing that he's, that's being taught here is this. Hey, young servant, right? Future mighty man of God. Future mighty woman of God. Don't trust your five senses over the trusting of God's spirit living in you. You see something with your own eyes. You hear the sound of chariots with your own ears. You taste the dust that the horses kick up in your mouth. It's like you can touch the atmosphere and you can tell it's dangerous. Don't trust your five senses. Trust, trust the intuitive nature of God's spirit who lives in you. Those are life-changing lessons for him that day. How does the story end? Well, there's, it's, a, it's a long ending, a longer ending, but basically this is what happens. The, the army of Aram, they, they start moving in to take over and to capture Elisha. And as they're moving in, now Elisha prays to the obstacle. Now he prays to the obstacle and he basically says, Lord, make them blind. And guess what happens? In a second, all of the, all of the enemy is blinded and they can no longer find him to capture him. And he ends up doing some really cool stuff. You'll have to read it to figure it out. But I find it so interesting that many times in our life, the thing we're afraid of, this mighty army that's in, that surrounded us, it could be people, um, it could be finances, it could be something at work. It could be a medical diagnosis. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is in your life, but I can tell you this. It's really easy to get your eyes on the obstacle and let fear escalate from a 1 to a 5 and 5 to a 10 very quickly. That's, that's really easy. But it's, it's amazing to me how God, in a matter of a second, snaps his fingers and he causes the enemy to go blind. It's like he changes the whole scenario 180 degrees in a second. So as a Christian, how do you break the chains of fear in your life? Because evidently that's what God wants to do. How do you break them? Well, first you got to do this. You got to put your trust in the Lord. Now, I got it. That, that's a pretty generic statement. So just track with me for a second. Trust understands something. Trust understands that no matter what you're facing, God is the one who's in ultimate control. And trust is something that never wavers based on the circumstances. So it, it doesn't waver when you're in the good time and you're now like, I'm trusting in me. It doesn't waver when you're in the deep, deep, dark moment and you try to trust in God, but in your perception, God didn't come through. So now you're going back to trusting in you. Trust doesn't waver in the circumstances. And, and for Elisha, Elisha trusted God for the outcome. When he was still sitting, maybe on the edge of his bed, and the servant comes in and he tells him about this big, bad, nasty army that's all around him, he says to him something profound. He basically says, don't worry about that. There's more for us than are against us. And basically, Elisha was there that day going, look, if the enemy conquers us and he kills us, win. We're with God. If he doesn't, God's got a mission for us still. But he kept this perspective that, he was basically like, what, could, what can man do to me? He was following what even the psalmist would write in Psalms 56, in God's word. But when I am afraid, 
I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid, by the way? Right? What can mere mortals do to me? That's where Elisha was at. When Elisha said there's more for us than against us, he's basically saying what the psalmist is saying. He's going, hey, what can mere mortals do to us anyways? They can kill us, but we'll be with God. So what, do we, what really do we learn from this passage of Scripture behind me right now? It's this. We will all experience fear. All of us will. How does he start it? But when I, when I am afraid. So it's not that you're not going to be afraid at moments of life. That's not what we should beat ourselves up over. That's the one on the scale of one to ten. It's what you do with the fear after that. When I am afraid. Okay, what do we do with it? Secondly, it's okay to ask the question like the psalmist asks. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? Like, I know you trust in God. That's what you're doing here. You're, you're growing in that trust of God. And there's going to be times when you trust God, and you're just going to have to flat ask yourself, I trust God. Why am I afraid right now? And why am I letting fear escalate in my life right now? Why have I let this moment jump from a one to a three? Like, what is really going on inside of me? It's okay to experience fear and to ask your question, you know, why am I doing it? What's not okay is to stay and remain in fear and allow it to control you and to keep you from honoring God with your life and with your faith. That's not okay. So what breaks the chains of fear? Well, in this one scripture, the psalmist shows us a couple of things that are going to break the chains of fear. First off would be this. I praise God for what he's promised. That instead of fear, we turn around and in the moment of fear, we direct our attention off of this earth and onto heaven. And we praise God for his promises. So do you know God's promises? Because if you don't know God's promises, it's going to be really hard to praise him for his promises. Where do you find God's promises? You find God's promises in his word. Where do you find God's promises? In moments like this, right here where we're talking about God's word. You find God's promises in a life group as you share you know, with one another what God's word really means to you. You find it and you hang on to it and you praise him. So you get your eyes off of the army that's camped around you like the young servant did. And you get your eyes onto what Elisha saw. That's why you praise God. God's still in control, young man, even though there's an army wrapped around us. Don't fear. It's going to cause you to do the things you don't want to do. But the psalmist also gives us one more piece that he drives home for us when he's trying to help us understand, like, what can you do when fear starts to escalate in your life? Remind yourself, what can mere mortals do to me? And really what we're saying here It's not about people. It's about where is your mindset? Is your mindset on eternity? Because if your mindset is on eternity, then you're always going to come back to what can mere mortals do to me? If your mindset's on eternity, then you're going to come back and you go, what can mere money do to me? Right? That's what you're going to go to. And so the jump, the leap is, where's my mindset? So evidently, keeping our mind on the eternal 
that this is just a home for a season. My home is in heaven with Christ. That ends up being an antidote for fear. That's what you saw in Elisha's life. So what's the next thing that helps to break the chains? The next thing would be this. Take control of your mind. Because one of the things I think we can all agree on here is that when fear starts at one and it starts to escalate in our life, it causes some really crazy thoughts to go racing through our minds, doesn't it? And we get some of our most irrational thoughts when fear starts its course in us. In fact, you, you just are not thinking straight when fear gets its opportunity to do that. And that's where the battle lies for the believer. The battle for the believer, the Christ-centered one, the one that says, I trust in God, why am I fearing, is the battle of the mind where the enemy wants to get his, his, his lock in there and he wants to twist it and start making you think in an ungodly way, then therefore you'll respond in an ungodly way. So what does Colossians 3.2 says? It tells us to do something very simply. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on heavenly things is what it tells us. Well, that's a lot easier said than done because fear can be something really hard to escape from, almost like a black hole. Like where a black hole takes all the light, everything that's good, and it sucks it into itself where even light can't escape from it. Fear acts like a black hole, taking all of your life, everything that is healthy and mature and good, and it just like instantaneously, like flushing the toilet, it just like whoosh, and it's gone. And we can become a different person in a second. We can, be, we can think differently in a moment, and it can change us and cause us to even get the chains tighter and tighter and tighter around us. So how do you break the chain of fear? You have to take control over your mind during that episode of fear. And here's how you do it. You put your full trust in the name of Jesus. In fact, I would even encourage you to do something very practical. That when you feel fear start to escalate, call on the name of Jesus. Jesus! Just in saying his name and the power of the name of Jesus, it breaks fear. The power of the name of Jesus, it starts to break the chains. The, in the power of the name of Jesus, darkness has to flee. I'm here to tell you today that there is power in the name of Jesus. It always has been, it is, and it always will be that in the name of Jesus, earth shakes in the name of Jesus. And we have to be people in the moment of fear that we're okay with calling on his name. And just going, I don't know what to do right now, but I can call on your name and I can rest in your name. Why, though? Because of what Jesus said in a promise that you're going to want to hang on to in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a, with a what? A gift. Here's the gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift that the world can't give. Like You can't even get close to it. You can't read a book, go to a seminar, have an experience on this earth that will even get you close to what Jesus said, I'm leaving you through, by the way, his Holy Spirit. So living our lives submitted to Christ through his spirit saying, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me is crucial because it's when we're walking in that moment that we experience the peace of, uh, of mind and of heart. But why? Why is it so important that he's leaving us with a peace of mind and a peace of heart? So don't be troubled or why then? Why does he leave it to us? 
through the power of his Holy Spirit resting inside of us, that if we call on the name of Jesus, that he will conquer the fear that we're facing at that moment? Why? Because here's, here's the why. The peace of Jesus, and I want, I want to get this like almost tattooed into your eyelids. The peace of Jesus is greater than fear. Like if you could hang on to any mathematic equation that could be correlated into God's word, it would be this one. The peace of Jesus greater than, like, crocodile mouth. Remember that? Which way is the crocodile facing? I still remember that to this day. I always drew little teeth in my crocodile. It's just the kind of student I was. I was overachiever. Um, <laughs> So the peace of Jesus is greater than fear. Like when you close your eyes, you should see it. When fear starts its course again and one starts escalating to three, Jesus, Jesus, I need you. And the chains of fear are broken when Jesus is allowed to bring peace, church. So remind yourself all the time, Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus brings the peace that conquers the fear. But lastly, it would be this. you got to find freedom through prayer, if you want to break the chains of fear. Like, we're quick to pray, all right? I got that. We're quick to pray, especially when we're facing difficult situations. But what are you praying for? Are you praying for what Elisha prayed for? Are you going to pray for what the young servant would have prayed for? The young servant was going to pray, God, just get this enemy out of here. But Elisha prays, get the fear out of my friend. See, we're quick to pray, God, remove the obstacle that's causing the fear to happen in me. But here's where God wants to work. God's not always going to move the obstacle, church. But God does want to move your heart. The obstacle that caused the fear might still be standing right in front of you. That's life. Okay? But God wants to remove the fear in your heart because the fear in your heart is making a big, bold statement. I don't trust God. I don't trust God. My faith is not in God. And if your faith is not in God, it's in someplace else. That's when you're the weakest and the enemy wants to win in your life. So in Psalms 34, here's what it says about this. It says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. Watch what he does. He freed me from all my fears. See, that's what Elisha did when he prayed for his young servant. And that's where God wants you and me to go with fear. The psalmist shows us it's more important to break the chains of fear as they begin to work their wrap around us like a python than it is to take away the obstacle that causes fear. And here's why. Because if God only removed the obstacle every time, the obstacle that caused the fear, then you and me would never grow in our faith. And we need to remember that. It's one of the reasons why when you pray, God's not interested in moving the obstacle right now. He's interested in getting your heart lined up with him. So freedom from fear, it starts with faith, church. And if you start there, I guarantee you one thing will always happen. You will end stronger than you went into it, personally. So I can't stop you from experiencing fear today. But I wanted to point you toward the one who has the ultimate power to break the chains of fear in your life. His name's Jesus. And if fear has its chains wrapped around you today, I just have good news for you. Right here in North Platte or in Kearney, Jesus can break the chains during our time of worship. And if fear seems to be a weapon like anxiety that the enemy uses in your life often over and over again, 
then here's my encouragement to you today. Strengthen your mind with Christ. Strengthen your mind on the things of Christ. Strengthen your mind on the word of God. And remember today, in our time of worship, that the peace of Jesus is greater than fear. And if we hang on to that, and we move into his presence in a time of worship, you can bring your chains to him. And in the name of Jesus, you can watch your chains be broken. Or the erosion begin today, at least. So why don't you stand with me, and let's pray. So Lord, today, we trust you that you are the ultimate chain breaker. We can't do it. We can buy the biggest, baddest tool. We can go out and read the, the most relevant book. We can go and talk to the most educated counselor. But in the end, Jesus, you break chains. You break them. And today at New Life Church, I pray over our church that you would break the chains of fear. Break the chains of fear that entrap us, that disable us, that keep us from becoming the men and the women that you want us to do, to accomplishing the mission that you've called us to. And I don't even know what the fear is. Fears happen at all different stages of life, and they've got so many different names on them. But no matter what the name is right now, that the enemy is trying to rattle the chains of fear in people's ears right now, Lord, I pray that the chains would be silenced in Jesus' name. And that our hearts, we'd hear your voice. And our hearts would rest in the peace The peace in our heart and the peace in our mind that only comes from you, Jesus. You left it with us. We run to it right now. We need it. So we can conquer the chains of fear. And in our future, that we might not be fearful right now, but this next week, the enemy's going to come and he's going to attack some of us. We're going to need to hang on to truth like this. A month from now, this is what we need. So Lord, I pray whether someone's listening to this message today, fresh and new, or they're listening to it in the future, And Lord, you would remind them, just like you're reminding us, it's in the name of Jesus. It will break every stronghold. And in the name of Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus. So we worship you, Lord, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.